You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Page to Stage. A conversation with theater makers. We're your hosts. That's Brian. And that's Mary. Join us as we focus the spotlight back on the theater maker to uncover their process. We speak with folks in the industry that often aren't heard from. Such as stage managers, producers, crew members, marketing professionals. And everything in between. We hope you enjoy this episode. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Hi, my name is Anand Thas, and I'm the founder of Broadway Boxed Up. Thank you for coming on our podcast, Anand. I'm excited to chat with you. Now, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I feel like we should almost have like a, a cocktail in hand because it's like a late happy hour or something. I don't know. Well, that would like really further Anand's image of me as just like always drinking because every he just always asks me liquor questions and like (laughs) and i always seem to be drinking when we're talking every time i'm in a liquor store and i don't know what to get i take a picture and i send it to brian i'm like what should i get which one is the best one and he's my (laughs) go-to guy for this (laughs) no wait did you also say that you're a producer enough that's a great point i'm also a producer of a new musical coming up and i'm excited to be part of the team and you were part of uh fairy cakes yes i was an investor of fairy cakes off broadway and i'm one of the investors of the new museum of broadway that i'm super pumped about oh i don't think i knew that that's amazing so let's just dive in by uh telling everybody what is Broadway boxed up and how did it come to be what inspired you to create this company so Broadway boxed up is a theater themed subscription box service so I say we put all things theater and Broadway in a box and ship it out each month the idea came about during the pandemic 
Uh, June 2020, I remember, it was a really tense time in our country. Social justice protests were just kicking off and getting more heightened. But I wasn't really comfortable going out and leaving the house yet. And I wanted to be able to channel that energy in some way and make a difference. And I sort of channeled that energy by figuring out I could elevate voices of diverse theater professionals and underrepresented theater professionals while also combining my interests and passion for accessibility to theater. Uh, I grew up in Washington, D.C., great theater scene, but I didn't know about it till I was an undergrad in college. And I realized if I, a theater lover, didn't know about the theater miles away from me because I didn't come from that background, that there has to be people like me all over the country. So really, I want to put Broadway in a box and ship it to people's doorsteps so they knew where to find theater and get that access when they can't come to New York City. Okay, so you had this idea, but what was like your first step? Did you subscribe to your own subscription box, like, you know, theater related or not before this? Great question. I didn't really do too much subscription box research. I knew the general model. I viewed a few other websites, kind of saw how they set things up. But I really took a background that I had in design and ordering merchandise and ordering apparel. And I kind of worked from there of what would I want to have shipped to me each month. And I just ordered things, designed some of my own things, found some playbills online and put it in a box and I decided to ship it out and see who would bite, really just using whatever knowledge I knew about social media and things like that. That's wild. That's like, because I mean, the only subscription box that I've previously subscribed to was like one for your pets. But I always wondered of like, I have a they... snack subscription box that I do monthly. It's like, Ooh. it's like oh, five I bucks used to a do month. One. It was like a small thing. Like, yeah, it's like, mine is like $5 a month and they give you snacks that are worth way more than $5 because the companies are paying to have their like pretty much just giving these snacks away for free and like trying and they're like luxury snacks too so some like those hue bars you know those chocolate bars those are like seven dollars a piece like already it made the box worth it i've actually never subscribed to a subscription box like i've never actually received one but now i think i would have subscribed if there was a theater one so I think I created my ideal subscription box of what I would have wanted every single month. Yeah, totally. So you launched this with your family, right? Yep. It's the team is me, my two parents, my older brother. We do everything. And then I was lucky to be able to hire two interns this past summer. And I sometimes still go back to them for design work or some friends to help out with design work. I love that this is like a family business. Is your whole family into theater or it's in some, it's some varying degree? Not at all. They don't know any theater. Um, I've been teaching them a lot about the theater world. You know, my dad, uh, he recognizes Jesus Christ Superstar. He remembers from his time when he grew up abroad. He was like, that was something he recognized. And, you know, all Bollywood movies are kind of musicals in a way. So there was always musicality in my family. But when it comes to Broadway and American theater, I think my parents saw Grease in London and maybe the 90s. And that's it. That's the extent to their theater knowledge. Wow, that's got to be a fun experience. I wish I could have seen Greece in the 90s in London. <laughs> right? right? Oh my god. <laughs> so what was that conversation like with your parents of just like, I have this idea, like, did you have to like, in- investor pitch them in-, in a way? My parents were always super supportive. I think they always said if you had an idea, they would want to help out. If, if you have an idea, Nanth, we want to be there for you and help out and do whatever we can to make your life easier. And I had never really taken them up on the offer. And now they're seeing that's a lot more work on their end than they probably bargained for. 
you know, I have them helping me pack boxes. I'm ha- bothering them in the middle of the night and we're talking about things that make sense. They're both super creative people. They were both architects and interior designers. And so they have that sort of mindset that's really beneficial for a subscription box that's focused about design and figuring out how to actually fit things in a box and what makes the most sense mathematically to keep costs low and still provide a lot of value. So like their skills are super transferable, but I think we're all learning. This is a lot more time than we expected it would be, but we're loving every step of the journey. So like how far out are you planning a box? Can you walk us through the process of just like sourcing material? I mean, I'm sure like once you got rolling, things kind of, you know, just fell into place and you kind of just had to keep, you know, buying products and like figuring out what month you were going to put it in a box. Or do you like specifically say this month, it's definitely like I want in three months, I want this. I try to plan each box very specifically for that month. So I would look three months ahead and say in April, I specifically want this item, this item, this show. And the sort of formula that we come up with is sort of loose, but the idea is, you know, we want some new musicals and plays, some older musicals and plays to sort of, one, appeal to a diverse crowd, but also hopefully educate people of shows they may not recognize. Since we have subscribers who are 13, we have subscribers who are 30, we have subscribers who are 65. So we kind of have a lot of different people to appeal to. But we also want a variety of items so some items are more souvenir-esque, like magnets and keychains and acrylic stands and metal coins and things you show off, while some are what I call the practical items, like towels and tumblers and things you can use every day. So we try to have a good mix of all of that, and then it's making sure it's something that can fit in a box, which is sometimes tricky. We fortunately are able to change our box size every month, and that's been a huge benefit because our boxes change depending on what's in the box and how much they weigh and whatever needs we have. I'd say the hardest part is I think one box is going to be something and then shipping delays happen or some other COVID delays happen and I'm changing and swapping things around last minute. But the hardest thing is we can't plan out too far ahead because I don't want to over order too many things. And also you want to stay current with like maybe what's in the Broadway Exactly. At the For moment. example, we have Tick, Tick, Boom in our February box. We had West Side Story in our December box when the movie came out. We did a lot of In the Heights stuff when In the Heights came out last summer. And so it's trying to stay current. So I think that's really important. And it helps for me when I see shows, because there are a lot of shows I still haven't seen yet. And what I realized once I've seen a show, I can create a better product or go to someone who's created a product and better understand it. For example, I was fortunate to see the revival of Carolina Change. And I understood that musical so well. I was like, we need a gold-plated coin of this show. It just makes sense because it's change. But I was able to include some costume design elements from the show on the design that I probably wouldn't have included if I had never seen the show. So it helps to do that my market research is actually seeing Broadway shows. So, for example, for that product, right? Uh, take us through the process of like you thought of that idea after seeing the show and so I don't know what elements of the costumes are on the coin but now are you designing are you hiring some are you going back to those interns and asking them to design this and sending it to somebody to manufacture great question it's a total mix for every single product some of them I design myself some we're hiring external designers we use pretty much the same designers as friends of mine or former interns for the other products. I kind of keep a tight-knit Broadway box-up family of designers. 
And so I go to them and I talk things through and show them my vision and they create something and I'm usually blown away. And then oftentimes we are submitting to external manufacturers, just finding the manufacturers who can do this unique kind of product. So for Carolina Change, it's a gold-plated coin, but that coin's also in a case that's a keychain. So I was like, I want something different. You know, we've done a gold-plated coin before. We did a silver-plated coin that's a little spinner thing for the Tony Awards. We've done... Uh, other types of coins, but we haven't done a keychain. Can we do this in some way? So it's going to manufacturers, sending cold emails and messages and finding out what's possible. Though sometimes we also buy things straight from other small businesses and we've started actually partnering directly with productions and getting product from them and doing official merchandise. And that's been excited, exciting too, just because you know Broadway's back and we can do cool things with people who want to show off Broadway shows. Well, what I find so interesting about your story is that you didn't come from like a directly theatrical background. You didn't come from like being in the industry and then wanting to just start this idea. Like you work in a financial um, public accounting, right? Yeah. So I work for, uh, I do financial consulting at a public accounting firm and I've loved theater all my life. You know, I did theater in high school. I sang a cappella show choir in high school. I always told myself I wanted to be in the business side of theater, but didn't know what that meant yet. From from an outsider that didn't have like inside Broadway connections and knowledge, how did you integrate yourself into the Broadway community? I think it first started in undergrad. I went to the University of Virginia And one day I saw a post on our social media feeds for UVA and it said, Drew Galing from Waitress is coming to UVA. And I was like, wait, I love Waitress. I know Waitress. Other people out there in the world know what Waitress is. And I went to that and it was a program called Broadway Talks Back. It was started by another student who became one of my good friends. And I started joining her for these programs where we bring down Broadway actors to UVA and they'd often do a master class and a talk back and things like that. And I think people had different reasons for going. A lot of people want to sing better, or act better, or dance better. But I was just really fascinated to learn how the industry worked. And so that was sort of my in and uh, how I broke that glass ceiling of knowledge of what the industry is like. And I think that helped me get a better understanding of how to navigate the theater world And once I started Broadway Boxed Up, I found a really great Instagram community of theater people. And people are so helpful. And there's so many great small businesses there. There's so many great performers there. And I really just started shamelessly DMing people and saying, hey, could I interview you for Broadway Boxed Up and do a postcard on you? Hey, could we collaborate? Hey, could we meet sometime? And maybe I could include your products or we could come up with some sort of partnership. And it's sort of how I met you, Brian, with... uh, Clubhouse and Broadway by the Glass and things sort of just kept growing and growing from there and it it was pretty awesome. And it was such a great time for you to be like embarking on this juncture because of how accessible people were during the pandemic. Absolutely. I think what was really interesting is people were more excited in the theater world to do something and try something new, partly because they had the time to finally do so. And it was really exciting to be part of that and sort of form and shape what theater is going to look like moving forward in terms of people's relationship with merchandise and what's actually on the stage and things like that. From another outsider's perspective, looking in at, at you and your company and the brand that you've built, you have been very smart with building the digital audience. I mean, obviously, we were you launched in the pandemic where everything was virtual. You were filling a need in a time where people were really missing 
the industry. So you were really serving that audience and then they just latched. But I think obviously networking with Clubhouse, when you said Clubhouse, I was like, oh my God, RIP to Clubhouse. I don't even know what happened to that platform. No, no like literally I was going to text our group and nothing. I like had this very tight knit group of Thursday night regulars that would meet that were all like great theater lovers and people in the industry and um we went strong until like october november of this past fall and uh our just our lives got so busy and like thursdays ended up not being the most convenient time for everybody anymore so it was kind of difficult but i was going to text everybody like very soon because I, I we need to have another chat I, lots lots it's, to talk about clubhouse is still like Clubhouse, I get notifications around. every day from Clubhouse, and like oh, I wow. need to turn those off. <laughs> well, okay, so I, but I was gonna say I I think your and this is how I was introduced to you originally months ago. Your partnerships, I feel like you were so smart in in your in your partnerships, but also you weren't just coming at it from a like uh, from a greedy perspective perspective, which I think can happen very easily because you're so wrapped up in in serving your audience with your product. It felt like you were coming at it from a place of like community of like, I want to help you. And then I hope you, you in turn, you'll help me and my audience. I think that's the most important thing that we form a theater community where, you know, oh, you want to include something in the box? Let's maybe find a way that, you know, every subscriber in their first box, they get this thing. You know, for example, we have a great partnership with Broadway Murder Mysteries. And every subscriber gets a four-player version of a Broadway murder mystery game. And that's great because it gives my subscribers something, but it also introduces my all of my subscribers to the world of murder mysteries. And maybe they'll interact with that brand way more. And so that's one of my favorite partnerships, and I've been excited about that. And just little things like that, I think, are really cool and a really great way to engage the theater community. On the topic of partnerships... How did you start? Were like were you just basing it off of the followers that you were gaining on Instagram, having conversations with people, or were you really being more aggressive from the very beginning with reaching out to people? And I don't, I don't mean aggressive in a bad way. I mean like aggressive, like purposeful, like of going out there and like you know sliding into those DMs. <laughs> I think some partnerships happen more organically where people might have seen what we were doing as Broadway boxed up, and they'd never seen something like this before. And they wanted to learn more about and figure out how they could play a role. Some started with me really, you know, finding people on LinkedIn, if I had to, and messaging them on LinkedIn and being like, you know, I can't reach you in your Instagram DMs. I haven't been able to reach you via email. But LinkedIn, you're checking that inbox and I'm going to message you and we've connected in that way. So really, it's dependent on the partnership and a lot of them are still in development. I think a lot of people are really intrigued by this idea of a Broadway subscription box, and they're really curious how they can play a role. But like you said, I think it's important for me that it's a mutual beneficial partnership and both sides are getting something to help their communities out. And so sometimes that can take a lot of months to form. It's not as obvious to figure out how each partnership plays a role with the box. So I'm interested, I'm always fascinated by like the, I know, and you spoke about this earlier, the postage and the different size boxes. Like, how do you plan for that kind of stuff? And how how does that work logistically with actually, like, going to the post office with what I imagine 300 boxes? That's quite literally what does happen. We fill up a van with 300 packages, 400 packages, 500 packages, whatever, however many packages there have been in a month. Sometimes it takes two trips or multiple days. 
but we make sure we ship by the 15th or the next business day every month. And we ship it, we get there, they all know me by name. They know like, oh gosh, this guy's gonna ask for several carts to lug all the packages in. But that's that's what happens. And I think from a planning perspective, it's really asking manufacturers, hey, what's the size of this? How will this fit? And so like, okay, this month we need a nine by six by three box. This month we need a 10 by seven by four box. But what's really tricky is, you know, I know the exact dimensions that a box will needs to be to be a certain price range. And I try to keep that cost as low as possible. Shipping is actually the most expensive cost of any subscription box business. And so that's what I try to keep as low as possible. Right. Like, that's what I was wondering. Like, because it varies month to month, do those prices like overhead for you in postage vary from month to month? Absolutely. I think it's partly dependent also where the boxes are going. We ship out from the DC area, partly because it's less expensive to ship up and down the East Coast, where most of our subscribers are from a central location on the East Coast. But we have so many subscribers in California, and that same box is going to be a few dollars more to California than it would be to New York City. And so it does vary each month depending on where our subscribers are located, but we sort of have an average that we try to hit every month. And some months we have a really light box, depending on the products, and those are the best months because we save, you know, three, four dollars a box, which is great because we can just invest that back into the business or into products for a future month. Yeah, I know a little bit all too well about like the shipping costs for things like from like a digital membership, you know, perspective of like if you have to send them a T-shirt. <laughs> we we've used um, like a, a warehouse actually in I think in Utah, but it's so expensive at the same. Like, it's you know you're paying for the convenience, but also like you're right. It depends on where they're going. If they're going across the country, or if they're going to a place that just isn't for whatever reason, it just even if they're like in proximity closer, the area with like their post office might be make it more expensive. I don't know. It's there's so many logistics. So were you prepared for something like that? Or was that something that was like a, a stumble as you go and figure that like those prices out? It's definitely been a mix. I remember our first box in October 2020. I definitely overpaid postage because I bought a more expensive kind that I later realized I should not be buying for my boxes. Fortunately, we didn't have that many subscribers then, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But it definitely took me two or three months to really figure out this is the least expensive way to purchase a box that'll ship the fastest, that'll have insurance, that'll have everything I need to make sure that package gets to its destination safely. How do you keep things safe and not going to break? Because sometimes you have like glass in there and um, other things that could break so easily. And like playbills, especially like I'm I'm a playbill freak. Our listeners know that. And I I would I would go a little crazy if like a playbill was kind of like scratched or like wrinkled if I got it. So that's a great question. Our box size, our normal box size is actually nine by six because a playbill is slightly smaller than nine by six. So it fits perfectly on top. So this month, for example, we're actually really lucky to be working with the Wooly Mammoth Theater and we're getting the pre-Broadway programs in every box for a strange loop that's coming to Broadway in the spring. And those programs are eight by eight. So we had to re-get new boxes that are just the right size that everything can fit correctly without those bending. But that's like a top consideration for me. But even getting things to places safely, I'm really fortunate to work with a great uh, women's owned uh, 
crinkle paper company that all the crinkle paper is also recyclable and that sustainability aspect is really important to me. So crinkle paper is the primary primary way that we make our boxes look good, but also protect items. And then I use biodegradable or recyclable bubble packaging for things like ceramics or glass to help protect them if they need a little bit more protection. And then fragile stickers often go on the outside of the box. Hopefully that makes a difference. I don't really know. But if there's anything fragile in there, we'll definitely be sticking on lots of stickers. Now that Broadway and national tours and regional theaters are back up and running, which is probably one of the biggest shifts in like just the industry since the time that you started, how has that shifted your outlook on the business or maybe some part of the business? I think the business has dramatically changed since September 2021 when live theater sort of started its comeback. I'd say before that point, in almost the entirety of our first year of business as Broadway boxed up, a lot of theater organizations, they're really excited about what we were doing. They're willing to have conversations, but they weren't really willing to fully collaborate with us in any way just because you know their business wasn't running and their organization was not at full speed and they couldn't really contribute in any way. But now that live theater is back, people are excited and able to participate with us in some way. For example, I wanted to partner with current Broadway shows and developing Broadway shows for months when I first started to have them in the box in some way. But without them selling tickets, they really can't include their merchandise in the box. But now they're open to having those conversations being like, oh yeah, you know, we're a musical about queer issues. Can we be in your June Pride box? We'll send you a bunch of merchandise or things like that. And so I'm really excited that people are willing to have the conversation now that their businesses are back and running too. I, I do really love that because I think that that's only just going to, first of all, it serves many purposes. It opens up your whole world to to their audience, right? Because they're going to be the, you hope at least that they're going to be promoting the fact that they have stuff included in your box. But then also it like, it serves a purpose of like, you know, what you said at the beginning of this conversation of you're introducing new, potentially new shows, new work, new theater makers to to your audiences. And so there there is no, in my opinion, there is no downside <laughs> to partnering and getting, you know, stuff, either getting a box or including your work in into, the, you know, boxed up. For example, with Wooly Mammoth Theater, you know, all of those programs are going to go in the trash. Hundreds of programs wasted when they can find a good home and one, those people can learn about this nonprofit theater. Maybe they live in the D.C. area and they never knew about Wooly Mammoth and they were like me growing up. Now they know where they can find theater one, but they know about a new great show that's coming to Broadway and they can learn more about that. And so I think it's a great way to, one, have a sustainable impact, but just increase accessibility. And people don't really think about increasing accessibility in that way. And I love how you said earlier that your subscriber base, the demographics are is a wide net, right? You got like teenagers to, I don't remember how old you said the the oldest group was, but is is there any sort of pressure that you find of trying to make sure that you're serving them from month to month? Or do you, do you find that there's some sort of ease because people are probably subscribing for a multi-month so that, you know, that they'll get a range of experiences through the boxes? I think because we have such a wide range of subscribers and every box each month is the same, we don't really customize based on a subscriber's interests or their favorite musicals. We tend to attract the more general theater superfans, and they're the ones who appreciate our box the most. 
Because if you're only really looking for Golden Age musicals, you know, we'll feature some here or there. But you're also going to get some Mean Girls, some Beetlejuice, some Be More Chill from time to time. And you have to be okay with that. So it's really for the hard ca- hardcore theater superfans who love theater and want to learn more about shows that they don't know about. So I think I've really embraced that that's our target theater audience. And there are tons and tons of those types of people. And so I've realized, you know, if I don't cater to one specific age group or one specific theater fan, things work out well. Okay, so this kind of really reflects where I'm at in my own life. But I'm, I've been like studying people who, who run their own businesses. Um, and I, I believe that any, everyone is capable of having, like, you know, running and having their own business. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's like easy and that anyone could just do it. I think you have to like study and, you know, make some mistakes along, along the way. So I'm curious as to what you think after almost completing, almost starting three years with this business, maybe two, maybe two and a half years now, um, of what skill sets do you think have helped you launch your business, but then also sustain the business for several years? Because also, before the pandemic, you lived in New York City. During the pandemic, you moved back home to Virginia. And I know you're not back in New York, but maybe that's on the horizon for you. Maybe that's in the in the pipeline. So I'm wondering, you know, you know, to piggyback off of Mary's question, like your own personal future is also plays a big part in how the business is run, unless you keep employing your parents and brother. And (laughs) so I think to start a business, you have to have vision. And I think vision is more than just what you want to do. It's really where you want it to go at some point. You know, I didn't think I wanted to start a theater-themed subscription box. My vision was more so increasing access to theater, but also giving diverse theater professionals a platform where they can connect with fans. I think that's what you need to start a business. But I think you also, to sustain it, you also need to have a few things. One, you need to figure out what you personally get from it. So for me, I love Broadway Boxed Up. One, I really enjoy interacting with the subscribers and finding other theater fans all over the country. But I also really enjoy interacting with people in the theater industry. You know, for me, as someone who wants to be a producer, producing is all about connecting people. And I've realized Broadway Boxed Up is also really about connecting people. So the skills are really similar. And so it's been a really great training ground for me to connect with people. So I kind of have that personal benefit where I get to work on my producer muscle a little bit and connect with people in the theater world. And I think also to stay in a business, you have to realize that sometimes you're absolutely going to hate it. You're going to be tired. You're not going to want to do it. And you have to realize that that's going to happen no matter what you do. You know, work is work. You know, they often say, I hear a saying, If you love what you do, you won't work a day in your life. I don't really believe in that mantra because I think work is work. And at times, this job is work. But I find ways to enjoy it. I really love designing merchandise. I love thinking about it. I love interacting with fans. I love doing Instagram live interviews with actors and things like that. And I figure out how to make the work feel less like work and to really elevate the parts I enjoy. And I think also to sustain a business, you have to keep evolving your vision and know that what you started with isn't necessarily what you're going to achieve. For example, I think where Broadway Boxed Up is going is very different than what I thought 18 months ago when I started. I think 
we're going to start going more into retail. We started a Broadway pop-up shop and we are one of the producers of it. And how can we sell a subscription box in a retail space that's not digital? And I hope to get more involved with other in-person spaces and interact with fans in an in-person way. And we sell a lot of one-off items. We call them add-ons or subscription where people can just purchase an additional item and add it onto their box. And so how can we evolve what we sell in a new way? And how can we evolve our partnerships? And so I think you have to be nimble and changing your vision as well. I mean, I'm like, I'm genuinely very interested in like the the business idea versus like a freelancing idea. And so that just got me thinking a lot. (laughs) It's really interesting too, being in the theater world coming with a business and computer science education background, because I think I think very differently than people who have a theater background think. And I don't think that's a bad thing or a good thing. I just think it's a different thing. So it's really interesting to see how I approach communicating and writing emails. I approach designing and thinking about merchandise than some of my friends who do similar work in the theater field. And I think, you know, learning and learning about different ways to think is beneficial because it's it's a way you can figure out how to interact with more people and just put yourselves in their shoes. Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, for you, you're so creative and, and your your day job is, is so analytical. And it's so interesting that you have both of those skill sets and you're, you're so, so successful in both of them. And I think that must be so fulfilling for you to have both in your life. My day job is I'm staring at Excel spreadsheets all day and working in Excel. It's so very different than Broadway Boxed Up, but I think having Broadway Boxed Up is my creative outlet that allows me to do my day job or first, I like to call it first job because Broadway Boxed Up is my second full-time job. So I like to say my first full-time job and they they both feed each other and sometimes it's hard, but I think it's really rewarding because I love doing both. Yeah, I was just thinking like your first job or whatever is is a full-time job so and but also it's not like you're just like freelancing where you're just like you know doing a few things on the side that take you maybe a few minutes like you are running a full business from start to finish like you have boxes you have hundreds of boxes like wow where do you, i mean that's like the question of like how do entrepreneurs like find the time in the day to do all of the things it's like <laughs> i have the, no the idea the answer is, to you know that. entrepreneurs don't want to work in nine to five so they work 24 7 and I always say with the subscription box, it's it's great. There are a lot of benefits. I think subscription is the way of the future of how people want to interact. Think about, you know, Amazon. Think about all the streaming services. You know, subscriptions are great. But the downside to subscription box is it's every month. You know, people always say start your own business because then you can take off, you know, when you want. And I don't really have that luxury with a subscription box because I have to make sure I ship a box every single month. So that's been probably the biggest challenge with how can I streamline my processes more so sustainable, but I can figure out more months in advance and figure out how I can take breaks and take vacations and things like that. And I think that's been a fun challenge for me to figure out. And it's been exciting because it gets harder every time we grow and we have to figure out how to do more products and more people and more partnerships and things like that. Well, I almost think that like the answer to that is like, is almost a question of like, when are you going to scale your business next? You know? So like, that's, I mean, because what I imagine of like when you take vacation is like when you can scale your scale your business enough to like have a a bigger staff or um, at least one more additional person. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> to, to, like, and it's, it's what part of the business to 
hire for too. I think that's a tough yeah. thing. And I think it, it varies per business. And I have to figure out, I, I think I'm reaching the point where I have to figure out, you know, some of the things I really enjoy doing, can I still be doing those while being at the top of the ladder? And I think that's a really tough thing people go to when they love a job. And as they get promoted to those higher levels, they realize they don't do what they originally fell in love with. So I'm starting to reach that point where I kind of do everything, but outsource. I figured out I can outsource the design and be okay with it. But like, what else can I hire for, bring people on that I'm okay letting go? And that's something personally I'm working on. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. I, I know a few like VAs who are all about like, just give me the work. Like, let me like take it off your hands and like just exploring what that means, you know. But also like even if you were to speak with like three different entrepreneurs, like everyone scales differently and everyone scales at different paces. You know, someone could take five years to scale. Someone could take five months to scale their business. We're very controlled with our growth at Broadway Boxed Up. I think part of that is, you know, I don't, I don't want to sell out any month because that means I probably should have ordered more. So if I sell out, that means I didn't plan that month well. So my goal is always to be almost selling out where I have a few extras, but I don't also want to order too many. Like I'm not ordering just thousands and thousands of things months ahead of time because you know that's not great for in terms of cash flow from a business perspective. And I don't have that kind of money to be just buying things and not having them as inventory. You know, I want to sell most of my items. And so it's been really interesting how we scale and, you know, could I put a lot more money into advertising and marketing? Maybe, but I think with the pandemic and how uncertain the world has been, it's really tough to scale, like how one month our ads do really, really well. And the next month there's an Apple privacy change and that changes everything. And the next month theaters open and that changes how people interact with our ads I mean, to change our marketing strategy. So I think the world is very volatile right now that I'm still figuring out a good pace to scale. Building a, like a nice foundation of loyal people and yeah. you know cultivating that community. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, we didn't even really like touch or go too much into like the marketing aspect. With the return of Broadway will definitely come the return of the events that happen around Broadway um, include, and the first one that comes to mind is obviously Broadway Con. Are you planning on attending those events, those types of events, Absolutely. those conventions? Yeah. Absolutely. I think Broadway Con is going to be a very huge part of our sort of summer plan and effort in engaging with those super theater fans. I think they're our ideal target market, really. And I'm just excited to meet those people because I think a lot of our subscribers inform what goes in our box. And it's been great to interact with them and realize what people like, what people don't like. And, you know, I, I read every single email, every single piece of feedback, every review, you know, we're a small business, we read everything. And I, I take those things to heart. And I really do try to improve what people don't like and what they want. Mary, do you want to move to the lightning round? Yes, I'd love to. What is uh, one thing in the theater industry that confuses you? Playbills. My jaw just dropped. Yeah, Brian's heart just stopped. <laughs> okay, and I, I'm actually going to have to ask you to expand upon that answer and tell me <laughs> wh- what what um, confuses you. Two things. One, I think, as an I love playbills. They're an integral part of our subscription box. I collect every playbill I ever get. But at the same time, I think that's like the only part of the theater industry that hasn't changed since like theater first began. But also... Who pays for the play? It's weird to me that the, the like the financial model, you know, Playbill charges some productions for 
to get the playbill, but then they make money on advertising. So should playbill really be giving the programs to free to some theaters and how that varies versus Broadway versus off Broadway versus out of town. That, that whole relationship is confusing on the business model. And I, I just don't get it. I would love to understand that better. I feel like we it's very hidden also. Playbill out. <laughs> we are, we're going to get playbill on here and we're going to, I would gonna... love just to learn what it is. I, I think they hide it very well. And I, I'm just so curious about it. They have a whole warehouse in Queens, right? A whole warehouse for their playbills. Isn't and that crazy? I'm dying just for a. I'm just dying for a tour. Anybody out there can hook me up with that tour. Um, I'm there. Um, what are three adjectives that describe your ideal working environment? And what I think is so interesting for you is that because you don't work in in the industry per se on a daily basis but what you do is theater centric so in a in a theatrical working environment flexible excitable and zesty was not (laughs) expecting that one for sure um is there something in your process as an entrepreneur that you find unique to you i think it's pretty unique that I run decisions that are probably only mine to make with my older brother and my parents. I always love to hear their thoughts. I don't always agree with them. I don't take them into consideration, but I love hearing my family's thoughts and I trust them with any aspect of the business. What's a job in the theater industry that you would trade jobs with for one week if you had to pick anything? I would love to be a lighting designer for a week. I think that's just such a fascinating art form and I, I would love to try it out. What is one hobby you have outside of theater? I really, oh my gosh, I don't even, do I have hobbies? Okay, let me think first. <laughs> That's one thing you have in common with theater people. Everyone says the same thing. Everyone's like, oh no. <laughs> no, I definitely have things. Like I have things at the bottom of my resume. What do I write? <laughs> let me oh, think. Oh, you do. I love anything to do with Pokemon. I like still play Pokemon video games. I'm obsessed. I'm still to this day. And this is our final question. What is the last great piece of theater that you saw? And you see a lot of really great theater. The Lehman trilogy blew my mind. The It's a masterclass of acting. Phenomenal work. And slightly related to your actual job, right? Didn't have to do with finance. Yeah, the, the Lehman Brothers kind of founded what we think of or helped found the modern day stock market and finance, you know, it didn't really go into the last 60 years of financial history, but it was just absolutely fascinating. You know, I think it's a very competitive year for best play. So many great plays and I've seen maybe like 60 to 70% of them, but the Lehman trilogy, just those act three actors skill, what they can do with the stage blew my mind. How can our listeners connect with you? Find you find Broadway boxed up on socials, all that good stuff. Yeah, we are at Broadway Boxed Up on all social media platforms. And you can also check out our website, www.broadwayboxedup.com. Thank you so much. This was so enlightening. I mean, maybe this is selfish, but... This was quite zesty. Yes, I found it... I mean, I think I said, I think it's a little bit selfish for, for me personally, but I found it very fascinating. No, totally. Thank you. No, it's... I really, I really enjoyed... I feel like this was a good one. I enjoyed this. <laughs> 
Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Page to Stage. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Page to Stage Podcast. And if you're enjoying these conversations, we would really appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time. That's Brian. That's Mary. We'll see you later. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.